how we doing? Uh, you know. Can't complain. Come see some stuff. Zach and Christian are here with Mitchell, who is myself, <laughs> and today we're discussing Ron Swanson's favorite movie. Yep. Oh, is it? Yeah. It's one of three movies that he's watched, yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Bridge on the River Kwai. Hey. Everybody wake up. We're going we're going to Thailand. <laughs> and it's not a good time now, and it wasn't a good time then to go there. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. 1957, British epic war film. I kept the epic in there because it mm-hmm. sounds epic. Directed by David Lean. Great Expectations, Oliver Twist, Lawrence of Arabia. Mm-hmm. Yep. Produced by Sam Spiegel and based off of Pierre Boulle's 1952 novel. And although the film uses the historical setting of the Burma runway construction or railway construction, um, the plot and characters and screenplay are all pretty much fictional. Um, the cast includes required American star William Holden, um, Alec Guinness, everyone knows him as Old Hermit in Space Desert, and uh, Wood Green, Middlesex, Military Man, Jack Hawkins, because he looks like a military man, so he cast him as that all the time. And then Japanese male sex symbol, uh, Sesu Hayakawa. So, on that note, what did we all think of Mitchell's 52nd World War II war movies watched? Well, I'm going to jump in here. I always jump in first with the well. Um... I had only seen this once before, uh, I, and this is one of the last films that I think my family, like, rented and watched all together as just a, like, hey, kids, we're going to watch this movie. Um, because, you know, when you're a kid, you kind of just watch whatever your parents are like, let's watch this as a family tonight. And so I was maybe, like, 12 or 13, uh, and we watched The Bridge on the River Kwai, uh, and my sister was pretty bored. Um... But uh, I, I remembered this being really impressive and really kind of knocking my socks off. And um, I think bits of it still do. But coming back to this, I do think there are flaws in the way that it's put together. Uh, you referred to William Holden as required American star. I don't know how much <laughs> truth there is behind that. But whenever William Holden shows up, it does feel like a totally different movie. Especially when you get to like the middle where you have this really kind of, like, everything with Alec Guinness is this really sort of stripped-down, gritty, kind of depressing, like, anti-war drama about, like, duty and honor and responsibility and courage. And then you cut back to William Holden, and it feels like like Goldfinger or something. It, the tones, <laughs> like, don't match up especially well to me with the William Holden stuff. Um, and I think... This is very clearly like a studio film in the way that it's edited and put together and shot. Uh, David Lean is a filmmaker who does some really impressive stuff with these these big budget epic productions, but I do think that Lawrence of Arabia is kind of his masterpiece, and this is sort of like a a dummy run on the way to Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, some really impressive stuff. The the bridge construction and the bridge destruction are are amazing sequences. Uh, we we watched Apocalypse Now earlier this mm-hmm. season, and Christian, you made comparison to it in your in your review, and I do think uh, some of the, the DNA of Apocalypse Now is, is definitely present in these sort of older epic war films, um, but I, I think the studio mannerisms and kind of the, 
the limits and expectations of what you can show in a movie at the time do do get in the way in a few places and make this a little more corny than impactful in certain segments. Uh, so I, I still gave it a 4 out of 5, uh, mostly for the ending. I, I was on a 3 out of 5 up until we get to that kind of final explosive sequence where it turned it into a 4. Um, but I, I, I think it's definitely shy of a, of a perfect 5 uh, for the reasons I mentioned. Cool, cool. Yeah, I echo most of those sentiments. I landed on a 3.5, and I was similarly blown away by the ending, and that sort of helped me stick to that. Zach doesn't do half-star ratings, but I, I think we sort of landed in a similar spot for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. I think like the studio mannerisms, and I think the first hour is, is kind of a chore, because, um, and, and I get I get the purpose behind it, you know, we're sort of meant to muck ourselves in the mire of, of what, what these guys are going through, um, sort of lying and waiting and, and uh, going to be forced to work and, and what, what have you. Um, and then the, the sort of I- identity crisis that Zach mentioned, again, um, Zach's just on point today, I guess, <laughs> with the uh, obligatory American star, was, was at times distracting. And I have other, like, little subjective uh, petty c- complaints but I don't want to focus on those because I think this was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, a three point five for me is a very good film, so I don't I don't want to get carried away in any sense of the word. I was really really impressed by Alec Guinness, and um, I've talked a lot about how sometimes recognizable stars are distracting to me when they play a less recognizable role, and that wasn't the case here with him at all. Probably helped by the fact that he did this twenty years before the first <laughs> Star Wars, but still, um, yeah, the bridge though that that's that set piece i guess is is awesome the ending is is great like i said um i i kept thinking that they were going that they weren't going to actually destroy it because i i figured oh they'll they'll do something like maybe it'll stay or the explosions won't go off or they'll cut away from it or and we sh- surely we won't see the train come down either you know and so that was a really satisfying moment when it did but uh i don't know if we're going to talk about the score or not at times the score bothered me hmm. um I, I'm sounding very negative. I don't want to sound negative. I think I think part of why I didn't love it is also the circumstance in which I watched it. Um, today's a bit of a hectic day. I'm preparing to move back to school. And um, YouTube ads. Oh, my gosh. I think I got ads like every eight minutes. Eight minutes. Is, I timed it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That was uh, slightly annoying. Um, not, not all of those were well-timed either. But um, at least they were short and skippable mm. for the most part. Um, 3.5 out of 5. I understand why it's a classic. I think it mostly deserves that status. And... You know, if you like war films and if you're a patient movie viewer, I would recommend it. Sounds like we need a musician's minute. Oh, ah, oh brain. Dear. I don't yep. think anyone wants that. <laughs> <laughs> I know you do. Yeah, I wasn't eh. planning on talking about the score. I, didn't, I barely even thought about that. Um, oh, well. Uh, yeah, I really enjoy this film a lot. Um, I've seen bits and pieces of it. My dad said I saw it when I was really little, so I'm pretty sure I had no idea what was going on. Um, but explosion at end cool Uh, i know i've seen that end scene probably (laughs) i've seen like the last like 10 minutes probably like four or five times before somehow um but anyway uh yeah i think i think it's a really great film i think there's i i think it's really hard like to have such complex discussions and like focuses on like individuals versus like big ideas you know because you kind of have especially at this time you have a lot of films 
um, that try to address these bigger ideas about war and responsibility and leadership and, and kind of just take it, take it head on, like as like a big concept. And then they have like the lower, like they have the characters themselves, like guide the concepts, but this feels a lot more character driven. Um, it, it feels a lot more charismatic in general. I think Alec Guinness pretty much steals that. Um, and Saito obviously is, is also uh, very expressive and, and great, um, for that. But, uh, like, this doesn't feel like it's really trying to be anything other than what it set out to do when it comes to that. And I think it's, it doesn't feel the only, like really what you both kind of mentioned, but mostly Zach kind of touched on this. The, um, the tonal differences is just kind of weird. And I just kind of think of it as like in my head, my meme brain starts and it's like, this is supposed to be like funny contrast. Like it's supposed to be like, I'm supposed to be laughing kind of contrast, but then as it kind of eases into the serious reason why he's actually like in um, Sri Lanka and everything and why he's going to be eventually brought back into the mission. um, It kind of just feels a little bit like they just had all that, American stuff is like to, to set him apart, I guess, mm-hmm. um, and to make him a more interesting character and, and really point out the fact that he's American. He's just like brash and like crass, and just every time he talks, he's just like trying to own every conversation he's in, um, which is good when he, he finally talks to um, what's his name? Gosh, when he's finally when they find out about the rank and when he's like admitting he had a different rank mm-hmm. and everything and how he's faking being an officer and he's like oh well we already knew about that and he's like crap they got me um but other otherwise yeah i think besides those tonal issues and also the 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 thing that really stands out to me and maybe it's just because i've always had like some his, historical vendetta against a lot of a lot of like focus on uh, kind of the the easy good and bad relationship between like Americans and Germans or Russians and Germans mm-hmm. and things like that and and the American and Japanese stuff I just never felt like it was really done justice mm-hmm. um, when it comes to actually doing the history correctly and and really like every major film that everyone like heralds as being really good that has that that's World War Two and has Japanese in it they never they they don't show everything that they need to really show if they want to actually be historically accurate. Um, for the case of this film, I feel like it mostly works, um, but it's just, it's, it's really hard to kind of, I, maybe this is kind of what Christian was, maybe he can elaborate on it, but I feel like this is kind of what Christian was mentioning. It's kind of just hard to really believe that the camp is really terrible when there, it's just really hot and like, there's really not a lot of horrific things really happening. Mm-hmm. Um, and not even, there's not even that much left to the imagination either. Um, and maybe that's kind of an issue, but that also might be a, a false expectation that this is going to be like a prisoner of war film um, when it really is more like a war epic film focusing on these bigger war ideas with these characters. Um, but otherwise, I think it's really unique. I think it really stands out from uh, POW films and it stands out from any regular World War II movie. And I also feel like that makes people not as inclined to watch all three hours of it. <laughs> but um I don't. I feel like it's really, really well paced and really like the the story doesn't really feel like it drags for me at all. Um, as uh, if you're not aware of the runtime, like if you, you stop, I, I we probably paused it like ten times and I was getting frustrated. I was like, wow, this is kind of a slog. But <laughs> but um, but otherwise, yeah, I think it's it's really it's a really well done movie. And anybody who's interested in in the genre at all, I think it's a really good little little side thing um, mm-hmm. that hasn't really been done before um but yeah um i guess i have a lot of trivia things because there's a lot of really interesting stories about this i'll try to be 
brief but concise. Um, so from the Irish Times, so details of behind-the-scenes clashes are revealed in letters held at the British National Arch- Archives uh, showing war office ob- uh, objections and the anger of a member of the FIPAL committee, which is Far East Prisoners of War, mm-hmm. whose stressed officers were obliged to focus on escape and sabotage rather than cooperation with Japanese captors. So this was kind of like a big focus um, uh, with a lot of critics uh, with this film because it was so different from the main message of the book and of of what, what actually happened, or at least what this is vaguely referencing. Um, mm-hmm. So... Uh, Major A.G. Close from the War Office's PR department after getting the script said, I don't think much of this story. In the first instance, it's quite untrue and only very occasionally resembles the facts as they were at the time. I'm perhaps biased as I worked for three and a half years on this particular railway. Um, He had sent the script to others and they agree with me that it would not go down well with the British public. So the script writer Carl Foreman was blacklisted in Hollywood after admitting to being a communist party member. And was not credited in the final <laughs> film uh, and tried to assure the war offices highlighting script changes and the fact uh, that the, f- the film did portray acts of sabotage. Eventually, the war office grudgingly agreed to RAF cooperation, but stressed it was not entirely happy about the film's story, uh, which, does not con- which does contain certain inaccuracies, which does not, in our opinion, always authentically portray the behavior and conduct of British officers. So mm-hmm. do you feel like the film is an anti-British film? And do you feel like it's intentionally trying to portray any group any one way um and you can also there's also mention obviously of the japanese portrayal um japanese were generally frustrated with this as well because they're very stereotyped villains it's a very common thing at this time um that the japanese are portrayed pretty cut and dry but um what do you guys think well i would say to the idea that the that the british are like disrespected or or (laughs) Anything like deliberately bad, I would say poppycock to such a suggestion. <laughs> Jolly bad show. <laughs> yes. And, uh, you know, I would even say like on the Japanese side of things, I don't know how, how strongly I want to argue against this, but um, <laughs> I, I don't know if I saw as stereotyped as I would have expected, at least, mm-hmm. especially given this is only like barely over a decade removed from the conflict. And yeah. I, I think probably more... I describe it as more like morally black and white mm-hmm. than stereotyped specifically in terms of the depiction of like the Japanese characters. Yeah. But um, no, I don't, I don't think that this is, uh, you know, I'm sure there are, there are historical inaccuracies here and there and it doesn't surprise me at all that the powers that be would be, would have ruffled feathers over <laughs> a detail here and there, but um, <laughs> nothing that I think the average viewer would, would notice and hold against the film or notice and hold against the whole country. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I I don't, I don't think it's an anti British film as much as I think it's a a, a general anti war film. And the point is sort of that it's kind of impossible to be on the side of absolute right in war. Um, Mm -hmm. I, I, which I think is the overall point, because e- even though Alec Guinness's character thinks that he's doing this thing that he has to do, and he he has to prove that the British can get this done, which ends up being an ultimately misguided uh, concept. Um, you know, the alternative is to get all of his men killed in the jungle by ordering them to attempt to escape, um, and the, and there's really no proper way out. I would say that I agree with Christian that I, I don't think this is like 
stellar representation of the Japanese or anything like that. But I do, I do think it's at least there's at least an attempt to address the Japanese as human beings with their own like fears and anxieties and their own threats hanging over their heads. Uh, mm-hmm. The Japanese commander in charge of the camp, uh, uh, it's basically suggested throughout like the last half of the movie that the main reason he is doing this is because if he doesn't finish the bridge, he will have to kill himself. And and so there's that implication that like this isn't this man isn't just like a, a cog in this military machine. He's not just this this evil commander who hates the Americans or hates the British and and wants to destroy them at all costs. He's a man who's afraid for his own life and is afraid of the people who are in charge of him. Um, and and that's kind of the reason that he's that he's pushing forward. Uh, there's there's kind of this idea that in war, whether you're a prisoner of war or on the battlefield. Everybody is just kind of pushed forward in this great big machine that eats, uh, and you either move with it or you fall under the wheels and die, uh, whether by the hand of the enemy or the the, the hand of, of your own side for like a court-martial or, or execution or something along those lines. So yeah, I, I think it's rather a narrow view to say that it's that it's anti-British. Um, does it portray Alec Guinness's character as sort of losing his way and losing his his perspective yes but i i don't think that's because he is british or anything that's just that's more of a coincidental aspect of the british working on the railway so he has to be british for the story right and um yeah i think i think in terms of like portraying the british in general i really think it's not i totally agree with you guys i don't think it's really targeting them specifically necessarily i could see this coming out in in the in the late fifties and and in the early sixties and it being an issue, um, especially with the War Department and everything, um, but it, I think it, it really does kind of miss a lot of the the major points the film's trying to, to 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 you know it's just it's using this this kind of I wouldn't say as a backdrop because there is a lot of the um, the ideology that's kind of seeping into their ideals and everything. Um, I, I think it's perfectly believable that that a uh, a british colonel being in a, a pow camp is trying to tell a japanese captain that you should be following the geneva convention oh and yeah i feel like that's that's a pretty you know obvious thing um mm-hmm. and and they also handle that very well uh, with the japanese perspective as well um i do think there is the benefit of not like showing anything terrible like anything super crazy or out there when it comes to how the japanese actually treat the prisoners but I also think there really is like kind of what I was talking about having a, a tight, tight knit like, you know, idea of what the story is supposed to be um, addressing uh, in terms of the philosophies on, on being anti-war and everything. And I think it's it's pretty to me, it's pretty obvious early on that 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 was kind of what the focus was going to be. I don't think there was really any attempt to to massively like hinder the successes of. Of, of the British <laughs> war recruiting and everything. No. And I don't think, I, I mean, I don't know. If I was in Britain, I guess I'd be okay with still joining after watching <laughs> this. Um, but, yeah, I, I um, in terms of the, yeah, in terms of the portrayal of the Japanese, I mean, there was, like, the only real major thing that I think could be an issue would be the, um, just saying the engineers are, like, incompetent and kind of just writing them off as being a lot worse than the British ones when, mm-hmm. um anyone who has like a vague handle of history kind of knows that the Japanese were had pretty good engineers too. I mean, it was pretty relatively on an even playing field when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, but, but I, I did like the, how they addressed the, the, 
like like how it was, it was not just that they're like explicitly bad at it. It's just that they had like a misunderstanding of how the British were were intending on building the bridge. And I mm-hmm. think kind of seeing that play out in that committee and everything, and kind of seeing Alec Guinness come into his own issues as a leader when he finally takes like he has these aspirations and the viewers riding on those aspirations and then once he's actually like committing to them you realize how instantly um what am i thinking of uh tunnel vision how much tunnel vision he gets trying to actually or i guess bridge vision (laughs) trying to get the bridge built um and and as well as how the americans handled and the american himself also um Ton, tons of flaws there in in leadership and and just even the whole the commando mission and everything there's a lot of things that were missed and just a lot of things that were going bad that that seemed really believable enough um to to actually go bad and it's just interesting to see all those character flaws kind of tumble in on themselves like zach was saying like the war machine and kind of just, you just get rolled under if if things start to go to crap because of your leadership mm-hmm. so um so talking about the the uh, cast, uh, initially Sir Alec Guinness had doubts about playing the role of uh, Colonel Nicholson. Of course, <laughs> Guinness had become a much loved figure on screen, appearing in a series of popular comedies. Uh, the Nicholson character seemed humorless, unlovable, and perhaps even dull. To remedy this, Guinness tried to inject some humor in his portrayal. Um, I'm I'm remembering that one scene with the the uh, with with uh, Saito. That was amazing mm-hmm. <laughs> and he finally takes the drink and everything yeah. um director sir david lean was very much opposed to this idea insisting that it be played straight thus began an argument between them that continued through shooting so while uh lean didn't always get along with everyone in his cast he was very fond of william holden uh, lean found holden to be very professional and felt that holden's considerable talent went unnoticed because he made everything look so effortless effortless and uh Sesu Hayakawa, uh, Captain Saito, had an eighth of the script because he's limited his English, but it was the highlight of his uh-huh. career, um, which is interesting because I read a lot about his um, career. And, damn, he was he was really fighting a lot of things at that time. What a terrible mm-hmm. time to be an Asian actor <laughs> in yeah. the U.S. Um, but this was definitely one of his most successful roles, and um, although not looked too fondly upon by the Japanese, he was very successful in the U.S., um, and he very much enjoyed this role. So, what do you guys think of the casting? Well, I I don't think <laughs> I'm unsurprised to hear that Alec Guinness didn't like the role when he was first offered it. I don't think I've read of a single role that Alec Guinness was ever offered that he actually liked. <laughs> um, I I do think that whether intentional or not, there is some comedy that kind of comes across in his performance. Mostly because Alec Guinness is built like a comedic actor. Just sort of the way he walks, he's like this kind of tall, gangly, awkward-looking man. Like so the you. way he walks, yes. So the way he walks <laughs> is kind of like immediately comedic in some situations. I think of like when they take him out of the oven, and and he's trying to be like upright and and remain respectable for the men, and also so that. He's not, uh, he doesn't appear weak before the Japanese, but the way he's walking, it, it almost looks like the way a lot of classical actors do comedy drunk, um, where there's the, there's the classic kind of mental thing of like a drunk person isn't really sloppy when they move and when they act. A drunk person, you can tell they're drunk because they're trying to act like they're not drunk. And there's this real, like, focused quality to the way he walks in those scenes for a totally different reason, but just because of, like, his build and his previous, like, 
performances as a comedian just made me think of like this could be really funny in a different context but i I do think dramatically he he totally works um i think like i said i think william holden is serviceable uh in the film i just think that the Mm -hmm. things that he does feel very outside of what the rest of the film's about but guinness i think is fantastic and i really love the way that he performs uh the line uh what have i done uh because that's a very that's a very Mm -hmm. like typical Oh my goodness! I've recognized something. Line. <laughs> what have I done? And there, there's there's a very no! like, yes, there's a very stereotypical way to deliver. What have I done? But the way he delivers it, it's almost like he's like confused or like he just woke up, and it has this very different feel to it that I think makes it instantly memorable compared to all of cinema's other. What have I done? Um, all these classic Shakespearean no uh, deliveries. Um, yeah, so I think it's a well cast film, even if maybe some actors don't have as interesting things to do as others. Yeah, I don't have much to add. I was going to zone in on that line too. I think it's it works because it's so non-performative. Like it's mm-hmm. not that's not something where. I think the way he delivers it could be precisely directed. Like, how would you how would you encourage someone to deliver it like that? Um, it's like you just woke up. You're not really thinking about what you're saying, but it's also triggered by something, and it's also like the most important line in the whole movie. But don't think about it too much. <laughs> I, I don't know how you how you get that out of someone. So I I figure that has to be credited more to Guinness than the director, mm-hmm. just because I can't imagine that being the product of like a spoken description or or steps um i don't really have much to add i'm not familiar with any of the other performers i think they were fine i'll just sort of maintain the uh tonal discrepancy between guinness's half of the film and the american half of the film Mm -hmm. and um i was sort of annoyed by how they were just like flirting with the the women the whole time like i don't know why but that just bothered me mm-hmm. i guess it's totally plausible and whatever the time i don't i'm not like offended by it or anything it just is just bothersome distraction for yeah. whatever reason i do think <laughs> it's a bit amusing that the only character that gets like a legitimate love interest in the entire he gets two the only character that gets like a legitimate <laughs> love interest in the whole movie is the american uh, i think it's very yeah. clear that they're like all right now Here's our British side of the narrative. And for our friends across the pond, we have a few different priorities to address. <laughs> oh, I also wanted to comment. We have seen William Holden before, although not on the podcast. He was Damien's uncle in The Omen 2. Wow. jeez. <laughs> oh, wow. He's really come I, I so comfortably far. forgot about... I know, The Omen 2 was okay. The Omen 2 was okay. It was the third one that was not okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, I don't know. He was big chilling when he was in Sri Lanka, and then he got frustrated. He was like, "Where woman at? I have no woman anymore." And then he's like, "Oh, I got Siamese woman putting on the stuff on me, and now I'm having a cigarette in the middle of the freaking river." <laughs> like this guy never stops. No wonder it was a communist that wrote this. <laughs> how do they know how all the Americans really are? Um, but yeah, that yeah, I you guys pretty much said everything um I, I couldn't really see this without alec guinness william holden i don't know they paid him three hundred thousand dollars which is pretty sizable that's pretty good yeah time. um because apparently they really wanted um a, a top billed american actor and this is that was the, what they got <laughs> so um 
I'm not really sure if that was like a major priority or not, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, and and yeah, I think Saito's good. I think his, his random bursts of anger are are very um, welcome, considering the circumstances. And I think him just slowly breaking down and realizing what how much like how much of his own personal integrity he's compromising to have um to have the british do everything for him yeah um and and it really just you can see how much it actually matters to him because of his culture and things that he personally cares about not just because the japanese war machine cares about it but because he actually personally needs to do it like mm-hmm. zach had mentioned um but uh yeah i mean really not a whole lot to comment on the sporting actors are fine and you know, I don't think there's really much else to write about with that. But uh, that's pretty much all I had. There's one other thing. Uh, the single longest network telecast in 1966. Um, hmm. It was three hours and ten minutes with commercials. ABC just destroyed their evening schedule to have this play, apparently, instead of having it in two parts. Um, but, of course, it was in 1.33 by 1. Oh, oh, okay. Pen scan. So only a little over <laughs> half of the film is actually seen because it's filmed in... 2.55 by 1. Cinemascope. Which, which I noticed right away that this looks insane. Like, he really could have just not done that. But he's like, no, we're just going to full throttle the every single, like, scene they're in. Just everything's mm-hmm. going to be showing up on it. And you can really see the production design was a priority. Um, wow, they only added, like, 15 minutes of commercials. That's TV has really gone downhill. <laughs> like, a broadcast of this would take, like, six hours nowadays. Yeah. Like, Apparently only sure. Ford, Ford Motors was the only ones that endorsed it when it premiered. So, wow. <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but <laughs> maybe they were that green taxi in that one shot. Oh, <laughs> probably. Well, a lot of the engines actually probably were. Oh uh, yeah, maybe. There you go. Or General Motors. I don't know. I don't know. The train anyway. was made by Ford gen- in General Motors. <laughs> <laughs> Just put the logo on before it crashes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Any other final thoughts, guys? Yeah, sure. Um, you can I talk about I'll... the score. Do yes. it. <laughs> Do you. it. I will. <laughs> it's not like I, I don't have any problem with the music itself. I just think the the way in which it was used was a little bizarre. Um, I think the the moment that uh, that occurs to me most prominently is when Alec Guinness is leaving the the tent. And his men are all like, rah, rah, cheering and swarming him and whatever. And it's this grand moment. And then it's got, like, this very, like, marchy, like, celebratory, but also kind of, like, starch and, uh, you know, unemotional in the way that it's, like, mm-hmm. marchy and happy. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I literally said, like, under my breath, where's this music coming from? <laughs> I think up until that point, the scoring was pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part, part of why the pace felt so long to me, but also at the same time, why you're so entrenched in the events is that there's not a lot of like non diegetic sound happening. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like deadness to, to the air. Um, and I don't know. I just, I just, I guess I would have preferred there to be less score there. Yeah. And then the other thing, when they're doing the, the drag entertainment, where did that mean? They don't have any instruments. What, what, what is this music coming from? <laughs> they should be dancing to silence. Could, and we should just hear the, the, the clacking of their feet they, and the raucous laughter. There might be a few guys with instruments behind the stage. Or behind the curtains. I, uh, I doubt it. I doubt it, Zach. I doubt it. Um, Were you no, in a prisoner of war camp in the, in 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 Burma slash Myanmar during the uh, during the the Second World War, Christian? 
Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. <laughs> I don't know. What was my other complaint? Um, I don't know. It was something minor. Something that'll annoy me that I'll remember in, in 10 minutes. Oh, gosh. What was it? Oh, dang it. I don't well, know. 3.5. It was a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, Christian thinks he might remember by the time I'm done talking right now. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, like I said, I, I think it's a bit rougher than some of David Lean's other movies. Um, and I don't think it's quite the epic that uh, Lawrence of Arabia is. Lawrence of Arabia is, is a really incredible cinematic experience that kind of transcends the time when it was released. Um, but I, I did really enjoy it, and I, I quite appreciate the score. Uh, there are definitely elements that are dated in their incorporation, uh, but as somebody who grew up watching like The Great Escape uh, and things like that, mm -hmm. it's definitely very much in that line of sort of like militaristic triumphant music in the few places where there are little character victories um and i also love the the whistled theme um Hi. they aren't actually whistling hitler has only got one ball but it's the same <laughs> tune so i like yeah. to think they're whistling hitler has only got one ball it would be mm -hmm. appropriate for the time period um because i don't think they'd beaten hitler yet by this point i forget the exact year that the film is set 43. um okay so not quite yeah. yet um but yeah, I definitely appreciate it, and I'm going to throw in a little side recommendation here uh, for... I really love the, the British motoring show Top Gear, uh, and there was a special <laughs> where they went to Myanmar, and their task was to drive trucks along the old railroad path that the Japanese mm. had built and to build a bridge on the River Kwai. Um, it's a very, very funny episode, and they, they did it. They built a bit... Well, they built a bridge on the River Kok, uh, they were uh, they were a bit mistaken in where they put the bridge, but it's still fun. <laughs> That's pretty hype. Yeah, apparently, um, I think it was Lean that was looking where he actually wanted to have this filmed and, and where uh, the actual bridge was, and he kind of got confused. There's like a million different rivers there. Oh, yeah. And he's like, I think I think it goes, the river goes down there, and the bridge is over here. This bridge is probably going over this river, so we're going to call it Bridge on the River Kwai because it's probably on the River Kwai. It was on, like, the Quay something. It wasn't oh, okay. on that. Um, and in real life, there was two bridges. There was, like, uh, more of a temporary wooden one, and there was a steel one. Uh, both of them got bombed uh, by allies, uh, but one of them is still standing today, apparently. Oh, so wow. that's kind of cool. Um, but, yeah, I really like this movie. Uh, four to five. Yeah, there's really not a whole lot else to say. Um, I think Alec Guinness performs in this better than the original Star Wars. I, I agree. Um, I think he cares yeah, more about this than the original Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I don't remember what my other thing was, by the way. So. Oh, okay. Uh, well, yeah. disappointing. <laughs> disappointing. Disappointed! Jolly good show. That made me laugh so hard. I was like, Christian's gonna die when he hears this. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Yeah. And the, and the American makes fun of it later. I'm like, nice, that's funny. This did make Only me wonder... show fans will understand. This, this did make me wonder why I stopped saying haven't the foggiest. It just kind of fell out of my, my lexicon over time. Uh, mm, um, haven't the foggiest. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we can review? Yeah. All right, I'm taking control, and I'm gonna say Whoa. this is a this is another right before we're recording watch. Uh, but I shuffled my letterboxed watch list, and my letterboxed my my letterboxed watch list told me that I should rewatch the Sorcerer's Apprentice from 2010. <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and uh, the only reason this was on my watch list is because it has Nicolas Cage in it. And I put all of Nicolas Cage's films on my watch list way back. Uh, all, like, 115 of them. Um, and you know what? It's not good, but there it is kind of a bit of a nostalgic <laughs> reminder of, like, a very different time in, in mainstream mm-hmm. cinema. Uh, I mean, this is this came out 12 years ago, uh, which is a, a major head rush to think about. Um, but it, it's definitely a time when, and I mentioned this in my review, when the big thing to try and replicate the success of was not the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it was Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, every major studio was trying to make their trilogy of movies. Uh, even Disney was trying to make a new trilogy of movies that would that would appeal to people in the way that Pirates of the Caribbean did. And, and this doesn't hit the mark, um, but it, it does have some fun moments. I think Nicolas Cage is pretty fun in it. Uh, he's always fun. Uh, Jay Baruchel, people seem to love or hate him. I find him quite charming, despite the fact that he's in a lot of very bad movies. Uh, and he's okay in this. I think the biggest issue with the film is just the script. Um, it's, it's, for one thing, it's barely a remake of the Fantasia sketch. There's like some brief hand-waved inclusion of, of that sketch, but it's nowhere near as good as the original. Uh, I think Fantasia is like one of the best things Disney ever made. Um, and what there is is very sloppy. It feels like it's trying to kind of appeal to maybe like the Percy Jackson crowd. Um, mm-hmm. I had totally forgotten that the whole film is about the search for a mystical young wizard known as the Prime Merlinian, um, which is a very dumb pun that is impossible to take seriously. Um, and there's all kinds of just like really sloppy lore that feels like it has like half of a thought thrown into it. The love interest is so bland. The love interest is just a girl to be shown things by Jay Baruchel and have her eyes open to the wonder of electricity and One Republic because there's a lot of One Republic in this movie. I need um, another story. Something uh, to get off my chest. Yeah, it's, it's a two out of five. It's not very good. But if you ever want to see maybe the most 2010 movie ever that features One Republic's secrets no less than four times in the soundtrack. <laughs> Sorcerer's Apprentice from 2010. It was a better time, Zach. It was a better time. We're I kind of agree. We're just a girl. Yep. <laughs> I fondly remember that one. That was that was a time, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, what am I going to talk about? Um... Talk about. I'll talk about Groundhog Day. Yeah, Why not? Oh yeah, um, okay. I watched that with uh, with these guys and yeah. with another friend of ours mm-hmm. uh, a few nights ago, and it was my first time. Um, I, I believe Zach and Mitchell, you'd both already seen it. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep. Um, but I'm a big Bill Murray guy, according to my Letterbox stats. He's my most watched actor performer <laughs> really? of all time. Wow. Yeah, I think it's because of the Wes Anderson kick I went on. Oh. And. Um, but, but, like, a ton of Zadie stuff, too, like the Ghostbusters, um, three of them, um, and this, What About Bob, which we also watched, uh, you know, uh, uh, plenty of other stuff. Natalie Portman's only one film behind, though, so we'll see how long it carries. But anyway, I really liked Groundhog Day. I liked it a lot. And as someone who sometimes grows impatient, I sort of knew the idea behind this was you were experiencing the same day over and over 
And sometimes I think that's a trap for growing repetitive and dull in a film. Uh, even in films I like, like uh, the third Harry Potter movie, for example, <laughs> you've got the like time turner thing in the final act. Mm. Whatever. Shut up, Zach. <laughs> it, it loses rewatch value, mm-hmm. I think. I don't think this one does. I mean, it's my first time watching it, but I feel like it's very evident to the audience every time we're experiencing a new day without repeating literally the entire day over and over and over again. And it's very economical in the scenes that it chooses to portray. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think it Murray and McDowell's romantic chemistry is questionable at best at the beginning but Mm -hmm. then that turns out to be kind of a feature rather than a bug because the whole point is that it takes him days and days and days and days and days to to know her well enough to connect with her Mm -hmm. and it's pretty funny where where it should be funny and i think appropriately dramatic where it can be and you know i i zach enlightened me to some of the sad tension between harold ramus and bill murray but i think that that probably made the film better the way that they push back on each other because you get a little bit of both. I was just really impressed. I liked it a lot. Uh, it's it's feel good. It's fun. It's only 100 minutes. So 4.5. I'd recommend it to pretty much anyone. Yeah. I think it's fun to rewatch Groundhog Day. And you kind of see more things about how long he's been stuck in the cycle. Uh, and, and there's everybody always talks about how long has he been in here? I, I know people say like based on all the tasks that he learns and how long it takes to master a task. He was probably in there for like years um which which kind of adds to the building sort of mental exhaustion as well yeah i second the recommendation and third christian was laughing the hardest when he was trying to kill himself yeah (laughs) that's true that was hilarious the the funniest (laughs) moment in the whole movie Yeah. yeah um yeah well i guess i'll talk about what about bob then logically um freaking yoda directed it <laughs> so yes. um yeah i i really enjoyed it um i know there's some people that are a pretty big fan of it i think contrary to groundhog day i feel like the the concept is kind of pretty easy to wear out honestly but i will say that the 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 chemistry between murray and dreyfus is like second to none um mm-hmm. i think he's i think dreyfus is like like he's just the, just the right amount of like appropriately frustrated, and it, it's really interesting to see how how his family kind of just accepts everything and, and just how you just you, it's almost relatable. Well, it is relatable in the sense that like we're kind of seeing it from his perspective because like realistically, how accepting they were of him would likely never happen, mm-hmm. um, especially in the way that it did. And obviously, there was a lot of ridiculous things for comedic effect that happened. But I think it's just interesting to think like. You'll go about your day and just feel like everything is just completely against you no matter what. No matter how hard you try, everything is literally just trying to make you fail. And um, I think just how he deals with that and then and then Murray kind of just being this consistently bothersome figure on top of his, you know, just his face is hilarious too all the time. Um, unlike a friend of ours we have in other movies that Christian resents. Oh. <laughs> multiple men actually um bill murray has a fantastic face and he's hilarious um but i do think although he has a really wide comedic range in this i feel like his range is way way like leagues better in in groundhog day and just seeing how how he he finally just seeing him every day felt different he looked like he was reacting differently and you can just see right away in his face how he's going to be acting um throughout that day just a lot of like key aspects of what makes a really good actor 
show through like all the time in Groundhog Day, and and I do, but I do think he plays a good, good dummy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I do think he plays a pretty good dummy, and he really adds a lot of flair to it that makes What About Bob a lot less um, annoying than it could be, I guess. But I mean, I gave it three and a half out of five. It's still a really good movie. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of my mom's favorite films of all time. <laughs> I, I will just say, I think Defense. the experience is enhanced by the riotous laughter of someone that likes it more than you. Because, I yeah. mean, all it takes is, like, the baby steps to the elevator. To yeah. Like, <laughs> get her to go nuts. So, yeah. yeah. Yep. Well, I guess we'll go on to the minute of explosions and shooting and things. Uh-huh. Yes, indeed. Mitchell has one minute to discuss munitions and weaponry that he found intriguing or worth mention in the bridge on the river Kwai. uh mitchell your minute starts now so major warden played by jack hawkins is using a ordnance sbml two inch mortar right and it's interesting you know people usually think of like a mortar being on like a tripod and everything but this is kind of like a uh, a long-barreled infantry one that you can uh, handhold, and it's like very versatile. Probably not very accurate, especially if you don't have an actual spotter, and it's just a random Siamese woman that's never seen it before. Um, but otherwise, it's it can be used for smokes, it can be used for munitions, and I thought it was really well used in the movie, um, and you don't see it very often. Um, it's usually used for. It could be mounted on a light armored truck also, um, but uh, it's a, it's a British light mortar uh, that was designed in the 30s, so usually a platoon would have it. And there you go. Have have those sort of gone out of fashion with as, with the rise of like grenade launchers and bazookas? Have those sort of taken the place of mortars or? Um, well, they kind of have a different role. They can be they can be used for anti infantry or for anti light armor. Um, generally, mortars are used for infantry. Um, hmm. But yeah, just different variants of mortars are usually used for um, like a platoon size, so like forty about forty men um, to to fight against just infantry um yeah bazookas are more like anti-armor okay so just different purpose but we still have grenade launchers today um a lot of it for uh for nato allies at least they have um under sling m320 uh grenade launchers on m4 rifles and everything now so similar purpose though well okay i learn new things every munitions minute yeah uh shall i go on my marvelous cinema tour to cancellation yep um (laughs) i'm looking forward to this one okay so i've watched 18 different marvel films and the 18th the final marvel film of the season maybe we'll keep doing this in future episodes um i i when i started this i thought that i'd like to at least catch up to the current marvel films but I'm worried that will never happen, and I don't want to watch these for the rest of my life. Um, but the one that I've reached now is Black Panther. Um, so, first off, what I do want to say here is Black Panther marked the introduction of a lot of additional diversity, both in front of and behind the camera in the MCU. And that I do appreciate, and I think that is good and valuable. Uh, I do think it was a good idea to hire Ryan Coogler to direct this film. Uh, because Ryan Coogler is an African-American man and is bringing a different influence and mindset to this kind of a movie that a Caucasian director would have brought to it. I think a white-directed Black Panther movie would have looked entirely different to this movie, and I I don't think that that can be denied. Um, But 
I think that this movie is Beep. still not very good. Um, I, I think that stylistically it's really interesting, and I really like the art direction. Everything in Wakanda looks great. It's It's got great, great detail. There's a clear visual culture there. I, I think the way the movie looks, at least in the stuff that's actually on set and not previs, is great. However, uh, the visual effects, action, and the editing surrounding both of those are particularly weak in this one, and I do think that comes from having Ryan Coogler as a director. Ryan Coogler is a good director, but Ryan Coogler is not a director who makes action movies. You look at Ryan Coogler's previous films, and he's the guy who makes character-based uh, social dramas. Now, now somebody might go, what about Creed? He directed Creed. But like every Rocky movie, Creed is not a movie about boxing. It's a movie about a guy who is a boxer. So the most interesting and best stuff in Creed is uh, Michael B. Jordan talking to people and Michael B. Jordan in his neighborhood and with his family and with the other people he interacts with. And I would say that, like a lot of the Rocky movies, the kind of the, mo the least interesting stuff in that film is the boxing. Um, and it does feel like the stuff that he's that Ryan Coogler is least interested in this movie is the action. Um, but at the same time, I don't think he has very interesting characters to work with because T'Challa is a very sort of honorable, straight and narrow, this is the right way and the wrong way character. And I think that is often very boring. Uh, I, I think that, um, what is his name? Overt Kill? Killmaster? Killmonger. Killmonger. I, I think that, that, <laughs> Killmaster. that Killmonger is... is Overt kill. <laughs> that was a character that was a McFarlane Comics character. Um, Killballer. <laughs> I, I think that, that Killmonger is way more interesting than T'Challa, but I, I still don't think he's that interesting because he's a character who is entirely dictated by his values and his morals and his goal. And... People aren't really like that. People have other things beside the thing they want to achieve. Unfortunately, I think one of the most interesting characters in this whole film is Andy Serkis's claw, because he is just such an interesting, <laughs> wild character. Um, and I want to I want to fence uh, uh, accusations that are going to come at me here because Andy Serkis <laughs> is one of the few white people in this movie. But I, I don't think his interesting qualities for me are because he is white. Because Martin Freeman is the blandest piece of Wonder Bread in the world in this movie. And he's Isn't he supposed to be? Like the one other white guy. Um, but I, I think Claw is so interesting where Killmonger kind of fails to be interesting. Um, that said, I think uh, Wakanda Forever, the Black Panther sequel, is one of the few MCU films that I'm kind of interested in seeing how it turns out. Um, I'm, I'm not entirely writing off these films, um, because a lot of the stuff they're bringing back in that movie, uh, Shuri, I'm interested to see, um, not Ocean Master, I'm interested to see, uh, Namor, the, the, the submariner, um, I, I am interested to see some things that happen in that sequel film, and it definitely looks better than this movie in terms of the cinematography. So we'll see. But this first Black Panther is unfortunately a low point for me to end the Marvel Cinema Tour on for now. Two out of five. It's definitely my highest ranked two out of five in the MCU because I think this has a lot more potential than most of the other two out of fives that I've given throughout this this season. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't quite take the cake like I think it did for a lot of other people when it came out for me. So two out of five. And if I do this again, I'll be coming back with Avengers Infinity War. 
we we missed the the big one uh, by by a hair. Uh, but that'll be what I come back on if we do like a Halloween special or if I talk about these during the holiday specials. The real big oh, one's gonna yes. come in Phase Nine. Phase Go Nine? On. I thought they were only along like four. No, that's, phase nine yeah, from a bazillion years from now. No, yeah, exactly. It's, it's all part of the plan, Zach. It's yeah. all part of the plan. I don't want to see Avengers rise of the fall of Voldemort's left toe. <laughs> Featuring no, Killmonger. it's Howard the Duck five, of course. Oh, okay. Howard I might be interested in that. Talking about. I, I might Howard be interested Duck, in that. You would have gave you would have given Black Panther three if if Howard the Duck showed up. I absolutely would have. I don't like Marvel, <laughs> but my attitude when it comes to Howard the Duck is shut up and take my money. I, I want to see a good Howard the Duck movie. Yeah. But we have. Um, I, will, I will mildly echo the sentiments, Zach. Um, I as, liked it. I think, said, I think um, it's gotten too much... Um, uh, it's been hated on too far over time. I yeah. think it's just fine. It's, it's a victim of its own reputation, I think. Because yep, yes. everyone yeah. went so crazy for it when it came out that like going into it now, there's definitely an attitude of whether you intend to or not. There's an attitude of like, okay, impress me, and and it's never gonna live up to the reputation that it got when like mm-hmm. people were skipping days of school to like go see it with their family or or whatnot. It's it's never gonna live Yelling up to that. Yelling Ibambe in the hallway. <laughs> yeah, it was I'm... a great experience in the theater. I will at least say. That. Okay, all right. And R.I.P. Chadwick Boseman, obviously. Okay. Now, <laughs> shut up, Mitchell. It's time for the rundown, and Mitchell can stop laughing because okay. he needs to start numbering. Whoa! For for the bridge on the on the River Kwai. Mm-hmm. Whoa! Yeah, we have we have we have stuff. Kwai and the bridge river. Yes. <laughs> Zach, are you ready to start us off? Oh, I'm start. Okay, I am. Yes. Okay. Cool. Three, two, one, go. The oven. Three to five. The jungle. Four to five. Hitler has only got one ball. Five out of five. Technicolor. Four to five. Drinking river water. Two out of five. Always playing sick. Three to five. Just kind of hanging out at the field hospital. Four to five. Whistling in rank. Four to five. Anamorphic lenses. Four to five. Carrying on in the way one expects of a British soldier. (laughs) Four to five. Stab first, ask questions later. Five out of five. Actions forbidden by the Geneva Convention. (laughs) (laughs) One out of five. A chipped bone. Two to five. Telling Alec Guinness the odds. Four to five. Commanding the rabble. Four to five. Plastic explosives, wonderful stuff. Three to five. What have I done? Four to five. Good show, jolly good show. Five out of five. Bird shots. Three to five. And with five seconds to spare, we're done. Wow. Neat. Quick. Nothing you can cancel me on. Okay. Well, I think now we segue then to our. Uh, this is the finale of season three, so I guess yeah. we segue on to our to our season three wrap up. Yep. Our recap. Mitchell really planned for this one. He really thought <laughs> day and night how he's going to end the podcast after mm-hmm. he asked an hour before if this is going to be the finale. <laughs> so um, we're going to kind of follow the same format um, vaguely that we've been doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we'll start off with what what was your guys' favorite episode like of the entire season? It can be yours if you want it to be. What was your favorite episode? So not our favorite movie, but our favorite episode. Our favorite discussion, mm-hmm. basically. Okay. Yeah. 
Hmm. I think this one's a lot tougher, honestly. Yeah, I yeah. think we had a really good season three. Uh, mm-hmm. Season one, there was so much dead air and just question, answer, answer, answer. Season two, we were a bit better. I think we kind of came under our own during season three. This is a hard one to narrow down. I'm actually I'm pulling up the my list of our episodes right now. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'll I'll start, I guess. Um, I'm trying not to say Apocalypse Now because that was definitely my favorite film, but that might also yeah. be my favorite episode. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Pearl Harbor was good. That was fun, man. I you know I think. I think we're at our best when it's just fun, even when we don't love the movie. Yeah, <laughs> and that yeah. was fun. So you know, I think our I'm I'm mostly only speaking from from my parents' perspective because I think they're the only listener I frequently hear from about about our show. But uh, no, we were the, there were a lot of laughs in that one. Um, I, and I was reviewing the old rundowns for uh, a reason that may or may not become evident. <laughs> and uh, the way we ended that rundown with uh, Josh Hartnett as man and Kate Beckinsale as woman was. <laughs> Pretty hard to top, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I I do think Apocalypse Now was a great discussion. I think we agreed with with each other a lot during that episode, yeah. though, which is mm-hmm. which is always tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, I I know it's very recent. I think our episodes on Bone Tomahawk and yeah. Return of the Jedi were some of our best discussions. I think there was a lot mm-hmm. of interesting stuff that came up during those. Yeah. Um. But I, I also want to shout out while we're here our two guests for the season, uh, returning mm-hmm. guest. Nick Hodden in, in our episode on Ivan's childhood, and then Amelia, who guested during uh, Goodwill Hunting, a title that still doesn't make any sense. Uh, I think <laughs> I think it's always nice to get other people on the podcast as well and have those different voices there. Yeah, that was fun. Ah, man. We, like, I'll say, hot take, I think season two was better. Oh, this Ooh. is a very hot. Right. <laughs> um, I think season two is better, but we were way more consistent this time. Mm-hmm. We had very few episodes. Where we were like, this was kind of all right. Like we, <laughs> like like it's really it's less uh, it's less of our discussion, like our ability to actually discuss it. It's more just thinking of things to talk about mm-hmm. and trying to carry on a conversation. I feel like is like the hardest thing. Yeah, um, I would say in general, the more that we prepare, the better it is. But mm-hmm. I also think some of our best discussions have come out of absolute nowhere. Like I'll, I'll never stop referencing the end of the mist. Like there's no way yes. that I thought that was going to end up the way that it did. Yeah. Um, such but, a vibrant conversation. I needed to include a trigger warning. Yeah. But like, like I'll say like with, with, with mine, like the ones that I, I wasn't as prepared for, I didn't like as much. Um, and I think there, there might be ones like, like clearly Zach, I just want to like say this, like, you know, Patently, this is true. Zach Zach mm-hmm. chooses like weirder films. Okay, this is very and, true. And, yes. and, and 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 it's very mixed. Like what, how how our discussions can turn out, but generally yeah. we, we we get into really good conversations. And I feel like 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 it, it feels a lot more seamless. The episodes feel a lot more controlled and seamless now. Like we can have pretty much good discussions about anything. Is really what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and like yeah, I think Pearl Harbor is probably like my favorite episode. But we've had like some of our best discussions. Honestly, I think we're, we're your guy. Like YouTube, your dis- choices had, like we had some really good discussions. Uh, I think like, especially having Nick on Ivan's childhood was good, and mm-hmm. having that that like Amelia, fanning over, <laughs> Goodwill Hunting, I think was was a really good addition, and her ideas as well. I think it's just having guests definitely helps a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And. Um, yeah, I think just in general we are all very interested in 
in all of our picks this time, and I don't think there's really like a lot of resentment. I think if I chose signs, I think I think Christian would have just <laughs> left. I think he would have been done with this whole thing. Um, yeah, man. I don't know if we if we had to review uh, the village, I would be openly <laughs> harsh. Yeah, yeah. like it, well, I I think it depends. Because there's two kinds of angry Christian. There's angry Christian who just doesn't want to talk about it, and there's angry Christian who's so frustrated that the movie he can't stop talking. Yeah, yeah. Or, or so frustrated that he can't even come up with the words. He's just, <laughs> yeah. this is an outrage. So My, Spiria was definitely the former Christian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. And I think, um, uh, what am I thinking? Uh, the Beyond. I think our Beyond discussion was pretty good. I, <laughs> oh, I think, I, I, I don't think, I think the resentment... Anybody who's a fan already knows how much resentment there is, and I think yes, I think that went. I think that went good. We also had a pretty good variety, but anyway, yeah, I think Pearl Harbor is like my favorite, but I really can't honestly. I can't choose like what our like objectively best episode was. Um, mm-hmm. Cloverfield uh, was very good too. Cloverfield was, was good. Um, and, and Rashomon Mitchell, was fun. Yeah, you mentioned our fans, which and and then Christian mentioned Ten Cloverfield Lane. So I think this is a good good segue to say that. Um, We've, uh. we've definitely no no we've definitely seen our greatest uh rise in followers this season uh the the channel city miss productions now has 62 followers on youtube which seems like very small potatoes but we started this season with like 20 yeah um so i we gained like 42 subscribers and they're basically all from the 10 cloverfield lane episode which now has close to 6,000 views on youtube wow. yeah. um so th- there's we're definitely attracting more people, and if anybody's listening right now, we appreciate you tuning in. Yeah. Um, yeah. You probably don't all know us in person, I'm guessing. <laughs> a lot Thank of you, you probably Dan do. Trachtenberg. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would also be remiss to, to uh, not mention... I never say remiss, because I hear Christian say it, and I, I used it, and now I don't know how to use it. I would be remiss to mention, right? I, I think uh, you were to right not the mention, first time. I, think. I yeah. don't know. Damn it. All right. <laughs> the Batman. The Batman was a great, like, kicker off for the season, yeah. even though yeah. it wasn't really officially our first episode. Um, yeah. It was, did way, like, that did awesome on uh, Anchor and on everything else. And um, Oh, great. That was also a really good discussion, and I do definitely think we should do, like, a release timing um, yeah, I want to get you guys on on the Indiana Jones five so we can all talk about how sad we are about it. Yeah, that's a real <laughs> real pre planning. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah. yeah. Um. So I guess I have to ask what your least favorite episode was, which kind of sucks, but whatever. You know, uh, I don't. I didn't. I mean, you know, I hate Italian horror, but even <laughs> that wasn't a horrible. I think, like, for me, that was a horrible episode just because I had didn't know how to vocalize my distaste. I think I did. A better job. I was a much more cold <laughs> anger with Suspiria, where I could Definitely. adequately um, yeah. destroy Zach with my unbiased facts. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this time, I don't know. I every time I, I choose a bad one, it's because I think I didn't do super well on it, and I guess maybe American Psycho, because similarly, I just feel like I had no idea what to say about it. Um, yeah. I mm-hmm. liked it a lot, but it was. I truly just didn't know what to say in terms of genre, in terms of performance. I, I had little more than platitudes, but um, you two certainly did well on it. So it was still a good episode. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think <laughs> for me, a, 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 a least favorite episode often comes from a film where I feel like it didn't inspire as much conversation as I was expecting. Mm-hmm. And then it sort of just turns into me kind of reciting trivia for the episode uh, and then not as much discussion stems as I would have liked. And I don't think we had any episodes quite like that 
or at least not as bad as we sometimes did in seasons one and, or two mm-hmm. this season. Mm-hmm. But I do think the closest we came to that might have been leaving Las Vegas. Um, yeah. I really enjoyed that film, and I think there were some interesting things brought up about it, but I think it just it, it incited less debate and conversation and discussion uh, than I was expecting. And I, I guess it kind of disappointed me as a topic of conversation um, a little bit. Not to say it's a bad episode. I still think it's it's a film worth talking about, and I think we raised some good points that are that are worth taking a listen to. Please, dear listeners, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, this episode. Is I, awful, I do but think you better find out why. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think if there were any that didn't quite rise to my expectations, it might have been that episode. Mm-hmm. And for me and Christian, or at least for me, I know that was like kind of out of left field when it like compared to what we usually do. I think it was mm-hmm. kind of just yeah a little bit of a genre shaker upper. Mm-hmm. shaker upper <laughs> and um yeah i mean i just no go ahead christian it's your turn no i i didn't really have anything else to add i just i'm kind of sad that i didn't like that one more um because hmm. I, I don't even think it was like drek or anything like that i just it just really just did not um land with me which is yeah. which is weird um i didn't really have anything to add sorry Mitchell. no 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 yeah um Man, like choosing a least favorite, <laughs> I can tell you which which film I enjoyed the least. I don't know if you can guess. Liberal arts. Yeah, that was easy. <laughs> All right. I, that was so. I felt so much nothing from that. <laughs> and we had a good discussion, though. Yeah, I think it was a pretty good discussion, and I, I tried to say as much as I like could identify. But um, you're much better than than we are because you okay. still engage earnestly right. and have good talks, Mitchell. Stop. <laughs> this is true. No. Okay. Well, okay. My my most disappointing episode, honestly, we just did it. It was Lion King. I'm. I feel oh, like I feel oh. like there's a lot of stuff that we really could. have... It doesn't mean it's bad. I just kind of like. <laughs> I was kind of sad that I didn't. Like I was saying about like the preparation thing. Like I feel like mm-hmm. if I really talked more comprehensively about it, but at the same time, it's an animation, so I'm not to say there's like less to talk about necessarily. But it's it's also like it's it's much easier to get the point across when yeah. it's like Disney or Pixar or something. It's like confined really... differently than like... Yeah. Like like what I wanted to say about Inside Out, I said in, in Week in Review, basically. There's really not yeah. a whole lot you can... It's just you watch it. <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, I yeah, I, I guess that... I don't want to say it's like my least favorite episode, but man, I don't know. I almost... Honestly, Finding Nemo and Fistful of Dollars feel so jarring to look back on because we kind of just... It was weird going into that summer mindset. Maybe that's just yeah. for me because I, I was very busy this summer. <laughs> they do feel like a long time ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah but um, still both really good choices and good discussions. So I'm, I'm just going to back out of this question as hard as I can without getting a straight <laughs> answer. Um, dang, yeah. that's um. See, I want to ask like, what are our favorites were from each other. I guess we could do that. I won't do least favorites. Just our favorites from sure. the other two people. And yeah, I guess yeah. your own, sure. Yeah. Let's see. Well, I will say I really liked that Zach brought in a fistful of dollars. Um, yep. I think there was mm-hmm. some hesitance on both sides because it was an Italian production, but um, <laughs> I, I quite liked it. I think I got a lot out of it, and it's something I've been meaning to check out because it's so frequently cited as a direct example for Lucasfilm, both in the 20th century and now. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was just really cool for me to see as as a fan of that style sort of extrapolated to to larger more contemporary productions um 
I guess for Mitchell. Oh, I did Apocalypse Now. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. Cats out of the you, bag. You forget I it. Mean, He'd love that, dude. That it was, was crazy. it blew my mind. Um, listen or watch to that if you haven't already but i literally watched the film Uh, we were meant to watch the theatrical cut i watched all three cuts and the feature-length documentary um, because i was so obsessed it literally like consumed a whole weekend of it was just apocalypse now nonstop. i couldn't stop um it was ridiculous um it's yeah it's just so stunning i think and i i have a sort of arbitrary list on letterboxd where i rank all of the films we talk about here Mm mm-hmm and uh, Apocalypse Now tops that list. It, it, I decided it tops Casablanca. So there you go. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, hmm. well, for one thing in our video call right now, all I can see is a frozen image of me blinking. I don't know if that's the case for you guys, but it's very distracting. Um, <laughs> I can see. But, um, yeah. but in terms of a favorite that Christian brought to the table, I do think Maybe either Nemo or Rashomon. I, I, Nemo wasn't like a favorite film for me, but in terms of the discussion, yeah. I did really appreciate what we got to talk about with Nemo and the way, the different appeal that we all found in it, and also the different ways that we found it funny, I think, were, were very individual yeah. to like how we watched it. Mm. Uh, in terms of a favorite from you, Mitchell, I think... I mean, I definitely have a soft spot for the Ten Cloverfield Lane episode because of the, <laughs> the, different, the viewers that it brought in for us. Yeah. But I, I really enjoyed Bridge on the River Kwai, um, but I do think that Pearl Harbor discussion was a lot of fun. Every now and then, it's fun to just bring... I, I think we should we should consider <laughs> bringing more bad movies into the podcast. That's what I was going to mention. Because I was gonna every mention now that. and then, it is fun to just kind of, as a trio, just wail on a movie. <laughs> um... <laughs> Like we did with with Pearl Harbor, Pearl Harbor received no mercy. Um, I think it was kind of hilarious to talk about and edit and then listen to afterward. Yeah, yeah. All right, all right. Well, man, you guys, you guys put out. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you at this point. Um, uh, yeah, Finding Nemo is pretty, pretty up there. Um, this is this is kind of crazy. I'll be honest with you, like, from Zach's, Ivan's Childhood. Ivan's Childhood, that that one was was really, there's really a lot, not only was there really a lot to talk about, as there usually is with Zach picks, but there's just, there's kind of an air about it where I felt like we really, like, understood what we were talking about, and, like, we could really Mm -hmm. get into the technical stuff, because we were kind of experienced. Yeah, we're, me and and Christian are are big cinephiles now. Um, We know where to point the camera. Um, but, but yeah, we, we, uh, we, we had some stop really me from trying. Yeah. It, no. True. And because, because we were trying, we had a really like fruitful, uh, discussion about like the technicalities and stuff and also having mm-hmm. that war backdrop and everything. And there's just a lot of things between us that were, that were interesting about it. And kind of the, the comments that you made about finding Nemo can be easily applied to Ivan's childhood too. And, um, kind of how I mentioned with, uh, Nick's personal love for Tarkovsky and everything, I think. I think it really worked worked well it was it was it was a little bit of a special one i guess but um yeah. man christian you know what um i really liked uh i li- breakfast at tiffany's breakfast at tiffany's wow really? um i well i liked it more than i thought i would mm-hmm. and it's just so it's just so different and it really i don't know it really made me think about like it really made me think about romances and like romantic stories in a different way 
Um, right. and, and awesome. It, more more from our discussion, the actual movie, but um, I think, and, <laughs> and, and the cat, obviously, the cat yeah. is number one. Um, cat the cat, but uh, yeah, I think I think there was there's a lot more that we talked about than I I would have thought we could have talked about with that, and there's also some really interesting trivia behind it, and it made me really interested in the movie and the genre. So, so even though it wasn't like my cup of tea, I think it was really. <laughs> It resonated with me more than I thought. So thanks, Christian. <laughs> but um, yeah. yeah. What about your own? What were your favorites of your own choices? Oh, hmm. I wasn't hard set on talking about Return of the Jedi, and <laughs> honestly, as as a rewatch, it was incredibly disappointing because as a Star Wars fan, I was looking for like any reason to bump it up to a four point five, and I couldn't mm-hmm. find one, and that was just sad for me on a personal level. <laughs> But um, it was probably my, I think, the best discussion I led all season. Hmm. Um, my favorite film? I have a penchant for choosing uh, almost exclusively films that I really, really like. So that's hard to say. But I guess I'll, I'll just also say I really was glad that I got to get um, Mitchell in particular to watch Rashomon to get you your, your mm-hmm. first uh, mm-hmm. Akira Kurosawa Yeah, Rashomon film. was another one. I, yeah, that was yeah. really close for me. I I think maybe... Again, I think the Bone Tomahawk episode turned out great. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. I know that that might just be recency bias. Um, but Metropolis, I think, was one that turned out really well. Uh, mm-hmm. a kind of a, I'm trying to put like a silent film in every season. Mm-hmm. Um, and every prospective season that I have planned has a, has a silent film in it, even if we don't get to oh, those seasons. Sure. Um, but like thinking back to like season one, The Phantom Carriage, when I said on the night that I decided we were going to be watching The Phantom Carriage, because originally we were going to watch a totally different film, and then that wasn't available, so I had to find something else. And the night that I decided on The Phantom Carriage, Christian was, like, legitimately angry with me <laughs> that I was choosing a silent film that would be so unpopular with the people who listen to the podcast. And going from that to, like, Metropolis, where we had this genuinely, like, appreciative discussion about, like, the pros and cons of silent cinema and German expressionism and the earlier, like the earlier epics of the genre I thought was a was a really gratifying experience and it was it was kind of a mark of I think how far the podcast has come in three years um so yeah I definitely appreciated that conversation um that we had even if Metropolis might not top my personal rankings of the movies that we watched mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> dang dang it I wow. keep thinking I'm hearing and you guys talk and then I'm very interested and I forget that I should probably figure out which one was mine. Um, <laughs> uh, they're all, like, a lot of mine were good, but, like, for very specific reasons, too. And I that's why I'm trying to compare, like, how important the reasons really are. Oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> If we're gonna do a Family Guy musical reference, it must be Bob O'Reilly. Okay, well that's you guys a, said Pearl Harbor. A song outside of Family Guy. <laughs> you guys said no. It well, isn't. So is the bird is the word. I, I know. I, I would really have to say Pearl Harbor. That one just really sticks out. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I know I gotta be a normie, but that's that's just what it is. Same reason. I'm glad mentioned. you came back, Mitchell, or else we would have yeah. had a Family Guy yeah. motivated argument. <laughs> we would have. We would have gone yeah. straight off. That's the a discussion I never want to have. <laughs> Can I ask a, a question? Yes. Um, is it a I Family just, Guy just, question? No, it's not. Okay. A yeah. guy then you're allowed. <laughs> I wanted Please to ask. ask um, 
we've, I don't know, we, we examine a lot of different things when we talk about these movies, but um, I always hone in, more than anything else, I hone in on performances. So mm-hmm. was there, like, I don't even want to restrict it to, like, best or favorite performance, but was there, like, one actor or performance or character that just stuck out to you more than the others? Oh, Alec Guinness. Oh. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> Twice. <laughs> From a certain I- point of view... <laughs> I've got to say Nicolas Cage. I mean, it might not be my favorite performance from him in Leaving Las Vegas, and I think we might have had like more collective fun with Nicolas Cage night that we had like a week or two later. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I think Nicolas Cage is such a special actor and brings such interesting, like expressionistic influences to every performance that he gives, even if it is in The Sorcerer's Apprentice, <laughs> that like I just, I have to, I have to shout him out when given the choice. Um, I'd say, like, Christian Bale, Martin yeah. Sheen, obviously. Oh, yeah. I just don't even think that's a fair comparison. But, um... Martin uh, Sheen might have delivered my p- favorite performance from him in Apocalypse Now, if I'm totally honest. Because yeah. I... Martin Sheen has been on this podcast before. He was in the final countdown. And looking back through my notes, I remember writing, because I had seen Martin Sheen in other films at the time, I remember writing when we watched The Final Countdown, because I'm still taking my cookie pocket notes in the same notebook. Um, (laughs) I wrote, I don't really think I like Martin Sheen as an actor, just in general. Um, Way back in season one. But he's amazing in Apocalypse (laughs) Now. Um, and, and, And really impressed me in a way that I don't think he ever has in any other movie, really. Yeah. Mary Elizabeth Winstead and John Goodman. Hype. Um, both of them. I mean, I don't know. I just think they're really not going to have like a performance like that. I think it was kind of a... I, th- I think it was just really the story and the setting and, and all that really brought out something in their performances that you probably wouldn't really see in other ones they would give, um, in my opinion. But those were definitely standouts. Like Christian mentioned, like performance focused. I think that was a heavily performance focused movie. I think, I think I wouldn't have been nearly as interesting if she didn't give us a, a motive of a, of a performance of that one. Yeah, definitely. They were Unrelatable. both great. Mm-hmm. I would put Goodman up there for sure. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like it's probably not because of how good of an actor Brando was. I but I would say Kurtz. <laughs> um, if only. I'd say it's much more of a credit to to Coppola's editing and and you know exhaustive direction and and work with that man after he did none of the work he was supposed to beforehand. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. And Clint Eastwood. <laughs> Let's we'll give a shout out to Clint. <laughs> this is a special circumstance for him. To hey, really he may show up again on the podcast. Robin Williams. Williams. Sorry, that would be my answer. Oh well. Oh yeah. <laughs> obviously, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, a lot of good stuff. Um, I guess right. I have one more question. What do you guys? Oh, okay. What, what are you going to bring to the table, if we may haps have a oh, season? Oh boy, what are you gonna do? What's your plan of action? A little sizzle reel. How sizzle are you doing reel. here? Um, yeah. Well, do you want to know exactly what I'm bringing? No, to not exactly. No, for? no, just to give us Cliff? like a little little teaser. Okay. Yeah. Well, I I'm someone who likes traditions i'm someone who likes returning things in a season i like to return to certain themes for my choices so you know if we do a season four you might get a little bit of italian horror 
from a different director we haven't met before on the show. Wow. A uh, little bit of hammer horror, maybe. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, my friend David, David Lynch, might show up. <laughs> David, um, David Lynch. <laughs> we, might get, we might get some some Japanese cinema from Akira Kurosawa's close friend and collaborator, uh, Ishiro Honda. Wow. Um, and then, you know, there, there might be a... A western in there somewhere too. That's that's just a bit of a bit of a sample platter. That's not windows on everything that I might want to bring to a season four, but just a few peaks here and there. All right. Well, I'll be honest. My phone died like a few minutes ago, so I can't look at the notes <laughs> to see what I've prepared specifically. Uh, but I'll, I will say my my big goal next season is to not make it a bunch of things I've already seen. There will be some mm. of that, but I want to try to choose stuff I that will be a first watch for me for the podcast. Um, I only did that once in season one with Sergio. <laughs> and we know how that worked out. Yeah. Well, I, I'm deciding to, to jump back into that fire just because I, I think, you know, I just want to mix it up more. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was ready to give up Star Wars, but then you guys uh, had me bring Return of the Jedi back, and now I I don't know. Maybe, maybe we'll see a Gungan. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> oh, everyone's favorite two-parter from the Clone Wars. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> the holiday special. Um, well, I, I've generally liked the genre mix-ups that I've had. Um, there are some that there were this season that I plan for, and to be honest with you, I think I might keep the same few films that I didn't. I'm not going to mention right now, but that I was planning on having. Um, I think those will be good memes. I think we're gonna really. <laughs> Go, go crazy a little bit. And I really want to follow up on what Zach had mentioned earlier about having a really crappy movie that we can watch that we can all enjoy <laughs> talking about. And I'm gonna mm-hmm. be, it's going to be the crappiest... I don't know what it is yet, but it's going to be the crappiest oh, okay. <laughs> thing, but it's going to be the best thing to talk about. And uh, Okay. Yeah, in terms of genre mix-ups, we're definitely going to have World War II in there once or twice or three times. Oh, of course. Maybe. We'll see. Um, oh, my goodness. We won't do Schindler's List because we already watched that together. Mm-hmm. We've already Maybe done it'll be World War II like a dozen times, haven't I've we? heard, yep, yeah, I've heard Christian complain about movie length, so maybe Das Boot will be in there. We'll see. We'll see. Oh uh, yeah. We'll see. Um, oh dear. Yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. Gonna be a comedy, a horror. Gonna be crazy. All right. Cool. These are these are great sneak peeks for a year from now, um, <laughs> for the for the viewers to turn back in, tune back in. But you might see us for the holidays, uh, mm-hmm. which. Hopefully, Cookie Pocket is as much of a holiday tradition for your family as it is for ours. (laughs) (laughs) We are our family. (laughs) Yeah. We have no other relatives. We live in this web broadcast. (laughs) The second this turns off, my depression just accelerates. (laughs) Um, I have no food or water. Please help me, Joe Biden. Um, (laughs) Okay. Shall we segue... Yes, yeah. yes, we'll, Christian. We'll Paul Blart segue right into D- Christian. Duh. <laughs> okay. More well, segues a than thing. a Weird Al Yankovic video. <laughs> yes, right on. It's a good thing that I, I texted these this this rundown leftover list to Zach so I can pull it up on this here computer, and I'm wearing a watch so I can still time us. Wow. So, as is the nature of the rundown, we often have really fun lists with fun things, but the 60-second limit forbids us from finishing many of those lists. <laughs> Until we make it to the finale, in which case we maybe get to do some of the things we left behind. And, you know, to a listener that has not listened or to every episode or is not acquainted with every film we've discussed, 
You're not this a real is going to sound a little bit like nonsense. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I promise you, each and every one of these terms is applicable to one, I think just one film that we've discussed. Maybe a couple of them apply to more. Yeah, a okay. couple of them might apply to more, but... Um, you know, maybe maybe have a have a fun little game with yourself. <laughs> Try to match all of this nonsense with with whatever film you think it goes with. Okay. And if, and if you recognize if you don't recognize some, maybe you know like listen to the whole season and then come back and then maybe you. <laughs> yeah, and then we'll have a meet and greet that. in Los Angeles. And we'll sign your pop figures. <laughs> yeah, we'll have a meet and greet for all sixty-two of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll order pizza. Okay. Um... <laughs> Zach, are you ready to start us off? I am, yes. Brilliant. Okay, I'm going to wait till it clicks to a round. Okay. And in three, two, one, go. Susudio by Phil Collins. <laughs> three out of five. John Gallagher Jr. as Emmett DeWitt. Three out of five. Simpin for Masha. Three out of five. PBR Street Gang. Three out of five. Transformation Effects. Four out of five. Driving to California to see about a girl. <laughs> two out of five. Pretty in Pink. Three to five. Elton John's musical contributions. Four to five. Hans Zimmer's musical contributions. Three to five. Kenyon College. Two to five. Sixteen Candles. Three to five. Replacing Yub Nub with Space Jazz. Three to five. Taking off one's face mask. Four to five. Coppola Cameo. Four to five. Gramophone Springs. Four to five. Josh Radner and the Weird World. <laughs> Two out of five. You say goodbye to my wife, I'll say hello to yours. 3 to 5. C-3PO blatantly impersonating a deity despite protocol. 4 to 5. Playboy Playmates. 2 to 5. One second, reading something because it's fun. 3 to 5, time! And a few things will never be heard ever. No. Unless we have like a... In the grand ultimate... A 15-year anniversary. Cookie pocket. Centennial. At that point, we can just write new ones. My goodness. <laughs> well, I don't know. Who, who gets to say goodbye? I don't want to say goodbye. Wow, yeah. yeah. This feels like the end of an era. It's, it's yeah. strange, even though we've ended like two of these seasons before. Yep, we are all going off to collage um, <laughs> again. And um, how else can I dox us? Uh, we live on the eastern side of the U.S. We do. Okay. <laughs> My address is one, two, three, help. <laughs> Yep, and um, yeah, it's been it's been great. Another great run. Um, may or may not see you at the end of this year. Um, see if the world yeah. blows up by season four, and we'll see. I mean, we we might yeah. see you a little bit sooner. This season is scheduled to end on my birthday. Um, so <laughs> so happy birthday to me. Yeah. Um, and and you might see us a little sooner than you expect. Uh, but we'll, we won't we won't say anything too concrete for now. For now, just go back to season one and see how far we've come. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, seventy nine episodes? No, seventy eight episodes. It's a uh, wow, Jeez. pretty long way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a and lot of hours. Keeps yeah. getting longer. The bridge will be built and then blown up <laughs> eventually. All right, dear listener, cookie your pockets another day. Ta-ta for now. Thanks.